Hi, you're listening to Valley Talk. I'm your host, Heather Stark. And with me is our King County Council Representative, Kathy Lambert. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's always good to have you. And as usual, whenever we talk about King County, I give my preface. I hate King County. Okay. So, you know, don't, don't, if I sound acerbic, it's because I am. So just get used to it. Kathy has. Kathy, there's so much going on right now at the council. So, I mean, last week they did a $1.47 million thing for gun control program. They didn't, we're going to talk about that at another time, but there, where, where's all this money coming from? It's, I mean, huge money every day, practically. I read all this money is going to here and all that money is going there. And I sit there and I think, well, good heavens, no wonder they have to keep taxing my property so high. <laughs> yes. Well, lots of the money that you're talking about um, is coming from the um, COVID monies or the ARPA monies from the federal government, but it is still running through and some categories like water. And one of the questions that I asked recently is, is this expenditure today important enough that my children and my great-grandchildren will need to pay off in memory of the decision that we made today. And the comment I got back, which was very interesting was, well, it's just federal money. And so I'm like, well, federal money comes from all of us, the citizens. So it is still our money. And I'm fine, especially in the beginning of the virus where we had to be providing food and you know grants to keep businesses alive and, and those really important things that kept us going. That was completely understandable. But as we're getting now to the, hopefully the end, and we are looking at some of the different issues, it's important for us to say, are these ongoing expenditures one that we need to be doing as we're watching the economy pick up? People have been pent up for over a year. They want to go out to restaurants. I certainly do. Um, they want to go to hotels. They want to do something fun besides sticking at home. So our economy is recovering faster than we had anticipated. So can we wait and get some of the money that's being generated rather than spending all this money and essentially um, having our children and great-grandchildren pay for it? So it is a concern. And I think it's really important that we be asking those questions, but not everybody likes to have those kinds of questions answered. Well, I'm, I know, you know, I'm older than dirt. We've talked about that before, but people, <laughs> people seem to not have a concept. I mean, it's kind of like I, I was seeing a commercial or something the other day and, and the, I, may, I think it was a cartoon strip and it was, you know, a hundred years ago, it was, oh, my um, produce and my chickens come from the farm. And then, you know, now today it's, oh, they come from the grocery store. We, we seem to have lost understanding that you have to keep going back if you want to see where that stuff's really coming from. And I think that's that way with money as well. The comment that, and was it a constituent who said that, or was that somebody on the council who said that? Oh, no, it was an employee that said that. Oh, okay. uh, you are absolutely right. I know a lot of my farmers tell stories of taking a class on a tour of a dairy and then having an adult on the tour say, why do you go to all this work when you can just go to Safeway? Um, oh my gosh. Um, yes, it's, it's very interesting to, um, I had another person ask me about calves and how, how come they don't wear diapers on a farm. And so oh my gosh. people have 
you know, questions that they need answered. When will a Shetland pony get taller? Um, you know, questions that those of us that have grown up around the farms and such know those things. But if you don't, it's it's different and it requires, you know, some exposure. But it is important for people to know that the money is not off of a tree. And we have a council member right now who wants to have and is putting forth a bill that will be for basic guaranteed income so that the government yes. will continue to pay for um, people to have a guaranteed income, which is what I thought welfare was all about. Mm-hmm. And welfare was supposed to be a stopgap to have people get back on their feet again. And if there is an issue where they cannot get back on their feet again, then there are other programs that you could put somebody on like SSI. But the idea that we have able-bodied people who don't wanna go to work and um, are not going to work right now and the businesses are screaming for employees to come and and to work is really sad because I, I believe in the value of work as an intrinsic value to enhance your life, give you purpose. And I know that I enjoy my work and working and, and knowing that every day you make a difference in some way in somebody's life. And I think we all need that opportunity in whatever our chosen vocations are. So it is a great concern to me that they are bringing forth so many Seattle programs right now. Seattle comes up with a Seattle idea and then some of our council members immediately have to copy it and try to put it on the rest of the county that does not want to be Seattle. That's interesting you should say that because for several years now I've been saying that King County wants to be Seattle when it grows up. Um, I hope not. I would actually like um, King County at some point to be like San Francisco, where San Francisco is its own city and county. So Seattle could be its own city and county and that the rest of the county would be King County. And it works in San Francisco, it works well, it works well in many places across the country. When you have one municipality that overpowers all the other parts of the county. Mm -hmm. And um, I used to have an employee that worked on that kind of legislation at the federal level. And so anyway, um, it's an interesting concept. And as more and more people have concerns about not wanting their lives to be ruled by Seattle, um, then, you know, there are options out there that we haven't really talked about in the past, but there are. We could always, we could always join the greater Idaho movement. (laughs) (laughs) That's getting to be a very big movement. I'd sign on, but remember uh, how many years ago was it that um, we tried to split King County, Eastern part of the County. And I can't remember, there were two of them. One was to uh, either cre- create another state or another county or, or cas- it was going to be Cascade County. Right. Um, but, and, and we actually got enough signatures and it went to the secretary of state, but then it fizzled. I don't remember why. Yeah, I do. Um, there's been movements for Cascade County, Cedar County, Freedom County uh, in, this, in the state. Um, too. And basically, it goes back to the enabling legislation out of, I believe it was like a 1932 um, Supreme Court ruling. After the last county was formed, the Supreme Court said that you had to make certain rules in order to form another county. And so basically, it was laid out like fault divorce, and that you had to get permission from 
the major county in order to leave. And that <laughs> is not good in divorce. Not that I condone divorce, of course, but, um, you know, they happen. And so anyway, in this case, you would have to get Seattle people to say that it's okay for the rest of the county to form their own county. And so when I was in the legislature and then after me, Toby Nixon um, also wrote legislation to say, no, we should take away from being fault divorce model to no fault divorce, that the people who are going to accept the debt and the responsibilities that they be able to decide whether or not they wanna split off from in this example, Seattle. And um, the legislature at the time said, no, they didn't want that, that um, the rest of us couldn't survive without Seattle. And <laughs> so I think that after COVID people have, um, many people have said they aren't going back to Seattle. They don't find it safe. We have, as you have heard many times recently, our presiding judge, talking on television and radio about how unsafe downtown is and how disconcerting that is. The county has now put in, I think, if not the second time, third time, it's the second time for sure, money to patrol outside of the courthouse so our citizens are safe if they wanna to come to the courthouse because the city of Seattle has not prioritized safety. And I read a study done, a survey done by our court employees and there were hundreds of stories of people being chased by machetes, by um, people having things thrown at them. And we have a huge number of employees that do not wanna come back to downtown Seattle because they fear for their safety. And, you know, I think I told you last year, I had a, one of my employees that was hit um, on the streets in front. I've been grabbed on the streets in front. Um, and so most of us that work downtown have some kind of an experience that we would, like to have not have had. And so it's not something that um, until the city of Seattle wants to clean up and put value and safety that many people are, are pleased with at this point. And I totally agree. Well, the, I don't know how, I, what kind of a utopia do those, those people live in in Seattle, the decision makers? I mean, we see it. I mean, I don't go downtown anymore. Um, the last time I went down was about two years ago. I had to go to Harborview because they had their eye clinic there and I was having eye issues. It took me over an hour to get there. It took me an additional half hour to find parking. And as soon as I opened my car door, I was accosted. I, all I could smell was urine. I mean, it was just awful. And um, I went, no, I'm not coming back here. You know, I mean, no, they said, well, well, we'd like to reappoint. And I said, no, I don't think so. I think there must be good doctors on the east side. I'll, I'll find somebody else. Um, because I don't want to deal with that. You know, it's not, I don't want to feel that I have to clutch my purse to my chest and, you know, wear a face mask or something, although I guess we're all doing that now anyway. Um, you know, I, and I, I hear everybody talking, you know, these city officials in Seattle, and I think, what are they talking about? And then to bring my circle to a close, I look at King County and I'm thinking, why do you want to be Seattle? Why do you want to be this failed mission, if you will? Um, you know, why? Why? Uh, we could do something so much better. But that seems to be a goal with so many of the council people is they just want to emulate whatever Seattle's doing. Don't get Some it. other council members do not see it as a failed model. They think it's very up and coming and um, lots of freedoms. But um, I believe that freedoms come with responsibility. And so your responsibility is to be a good neighbor to the people around you and 
and so that everybody feels safe. So mm -hmm. it, it's an interesting time that we're living in right now. I think so too. I think it's a very selfish time. And I think that going back again to what we were talking about, about people not knowing that, you know, cabs don't have to wear diapers. They, the people, the, the bulk of the voters, the decision makers or whatever, don't live in the same reality that you and I seem to live in. And I don't know if it's because we were raised with the cows or not, but it seems that they just have a totally different concept. And it's a very unrealistic concept in my view. So it does distress me when King County starts picking up uh, the lead of Seattle and going, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. It's distressing. It is. And it's why some of us that represent outside of Seattle have to work so hard to make sure that the voices are heard. And I think that as we come back online, there's lots and lots of voices being very loud about what they want. Uh, my staff was telling me today that a, um, a request for some money came in and it was all the money that was in that budget for the entire county for one group. And they said, how did they think that we can do that if one group requests all the money in the account? And Sometimes I listen to what's being said with the thought in my mind, you know, what, what's going on here that people feel that it should be the loudest people that are heard. And really the people that should be heard are the quiet people who are going to work every day doing the best job they can. And they have elected their officials to make decisions that are wise, that are thought through, that are based on realities of data and input. And yet right now, and I can't even tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, this group wants, well, I'm sorry, you know, we can all want things. I'd actually like a Ferrari, but it's not practical and it's not something that I'm going to save for. So uh, from, for my needs with all these little grandkids, they won't all fit. So, <laughs> you know, it would be different if I were younger and no grandkids, but um, you know, we can't have this happening where, where government is by appeasing the loudest. And I am very concerned about what is happening with some of the appease the loudest when the citizens need to know what is being said and that they need to stand up. And another thing that's happening is people are taking, you know, a, a vote and saying, okay, this was the reason for the vote, when that may not have been the reason at all. And Sometimes people will call me and they'll say, you know, what about this? And when I tell them the whole story, they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea all those things were happening. And so it's important to know your elected officials so that you know, are they paying attention? Are they looking out for you? Are they analyzing? And, and not to get into this thing that it's going to be the loudest voice that gets heard, but the voice of the people that are the quiet people at home doing their work and trying to get things done and make ends meet that should be the ones that you are hearing because you know your people and you know what they want because you talk to them and meet with them and you know see them in the restaurant and the grocery store. And they tell you things that then you have in your mind, okay, this is what this community needs. And then when any group that comes in and says something completely different, um, and is very loud and noisy about it um, is very interesting. So it's interesting to see over the years I've been elected from um, respect to badgering. And it's a very different style that we are seeing right now. And, and it saddens me because 
this should be all the people and not just the loudest people. You know, your, your comment about, you know, I want, I want. My father used to say, this is a little, little, this, this is working class humor here, Kathy, but my father used to say people in hell want ice water, but that doesn't mean they're going to get it. So, you know, we all want the ice water, uh, but doesn't mean it's going to just kind of flow from the ethernet into you, you know? And I do see that. I think it's a, I don't know, I sound like an old codger here, but I do think it's a very selfish times, but it's selfish masked as compassion. Yes. In my well, view. Certain things that are being labeled compassion, for instance, letting the people on the streets that you just talked about, you know, doing bodily functions on the street. Um, you know, I was passing a lady on the street in front of one of the downtown facilities and she did a bodily function. And I just walked up to her and I said, I am so sorry. Whatever happened to you that you felt that, that this was good enough for you to do this in this way, you are so much better than that. I am so sorry. And gave her some information about where she could get some services because I just don't feel it's compassion. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has value and worth. And if you let them be on the streets, doped up and not um, using their skills that they were given at, as part of their life, you have deprived that person in the name of trying to be compassionate when in fact you have not. And the University of Washington has um, highlighted a woman by the name of Jenny Burton, which you've probably seen um, on TV and, and such. And she is a 17 time felon with um, started drug addiction at the age of six because her mother started giving her drugs. And she said, said many powerful things, but what she said the other day that was so powerful, if I had not been arrested, my drug addiction would never have been arrested. And she credits the time in jail as having been the time to get her clean so that she could make better decisions. Because in the stupor of drug, drug addiction, you cannot make wise decisions. And so for us to think that we have to wait until people are ready, they are not going to get ready in a stupor. And so I am very interested in listening to Jenny and what she's going to do through the University of Washington and the research to be able to start to change the definition of what compassion is. Yeah. I think that's true. I, 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 I'm not familiar with her, but I'd like to, learn, to know more about her. One of the things that we haven't talked about, and that is how come we don't, or maybe I'm, I'm just not seeing it. Do we have a homeless population of significance in our rural areas, or they just are all going to the cities because what, that's where services are? Or? Well, first of all, the rural areas um, are much more difficult to get around in because we don't um, have the same transportation um, that's public transportation as, as they do inside Seattle, which is another issue um, that we're working on. Um, but we also have a different feel in our area about the idea that um, this is not an acceptable behavior. And so it's not as welcoming. And also we do have some shelters. Um, the Stoqualmie shelter is now gone year round with some help from the county. And they are working with people and putting them up in hotels. We put a lot of people in hotels. The county has um, bought five hotels or is in the process of buying them. So that the, the people who are making below 30% median income will have a place to live. 
And when COVID first started, we took the people from um, downtown emergency services, which is where the bulk of the people that you see downtown were staying. And we moved them into hotels. And within, within a month, um, people were seeing huge changes in their population that they'd been serving for years. And they would say, this person is jogging and getting healthy and reading and, you know, getting services. And, you know, several people were able to get up and get jobs and move on with their lives. It even amazed their counselors that they'd had for a very long time. So I think when we have expectations for people that are wrapped around with services, then we see progress. And as I think I told you before, when I went to Oklahoma and spent three days in their, in their um, housing for the homeless, they are very clear. You have worth, you have value. We do a skill set analysis on you. What are the skills that you bring to this? Do you, have you graduated from high school? Do you have a family? Do you have any job skills? Have you ever worked? And then they analyze what, what strengths you have and begin to then work on those and help you to deal with whatever your, whatever your issue is, why you are, are homeless. And they have had phenomenal success. And it was so refreshing that I was teasing Tom, the director, that you know, all these people are smiling. I said, what are you feeding them? I need to feed those to my kids. And he started laughing and he goes, no, um, they just have been so put down over the years that they have no value. And we've made it very clear that every human being has value and they have made it a part of their own being that they now understand they have value and they're getting on with the work of, of showing their value and their creativity. And it was wonderful to introduce these people. And one real quick story, one of the little girls um, that was homeless was going to her first day at school. And she was of course under the McKinney-Vento being um, taken by a taxi to the school. And the teacher was really worried about how the other students would react to see her coming to school in the taxi. And so she said, oh, it's wonderful. I have now been moved into a mansion. Um, that was her interpretation of mission. I am now living in the mansion and I have a beautiful staircase and I have a basketball cart and a vending machine and I have a cook and she'll cook for me anytime. And she just was like, this is so exciting that I'm living in the mansion. And um, the teacher was so overwhelmed emotionally that here she's worried about how the child's going to react to this. And here she's, you know, singing the praise that she's now living in a mansion. And so later on, I asked Tom, how was that family doing? And they were up and out and doing well. And it's just exciting to see um, other places in the country that are doing really good work, but they're doing good work because they're holding people accountable and instilling in them the idea that they have worth and let's get that out. So you can see it and everyone around you can see your worth. Well, and on that note, Kathy, we have to take our first break. And uh, so we're going to be back in a few minutes. And I'm Heather Stark with Valley Talk. Kathy Lambert is my guest. And we're talking, we're talking, we're having kind of an interesting conversation this time, aren't we? A little different. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Join us after this. You're listening to Valley 104.9, your station for Valley Talk and information. Join us for Northwest Phenomenon Sunday nights at 7 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9 as we cover topics from paranormal activity, conspiracy theories, 
and more. If you have a story you would like to share, email me, mario at northwestphenomenon.com. We'll see you Sunday nights at 7 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9. Northwest Phenomenon. Tune in on Saturday evenings when Valley 104.9 is all about the oldies. Things get going at 5.30 p.m. with Forgotten Hits of the 60s, where host Steve Arthur spins up obscure singles and one-hit wonders. Then from 6 to 9, it's the Saturday Night Oldies Show with the Valley's own Terry Spring. Terry busts out his huge collection of 45s from the 50s, 60s, and 70s and spins them every week. It's a double dose of the oldies every Saturday starting at 5.30 p.m. Remember to join us at 1 p.m. on Sunday for Animal Radio. Animal Radio is America's most listened to pet show. The nearly two-hour celebration of our pets is hosted by veterinary talent Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. So tune in 1 p.m. Sunday, Animal Radio. Immerse yourself in the worlds of community media, sound, podcasting, and audio on Radio Survivor. Airing on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7 p.m. here on Valley 104.9 FM. Welcome back to Valley Talk. I'm your host, Heather Stark. With me is our King County Council representative, Kathy Lambert, and former state legislator. You know, we don't talk about that very much, but you were a state legislator, and I I, I think I voted for you when you ran. I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to remember. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. We were talking about the homeless situation and we were talking about uh, living on the streets, but what, what the tenant protection law. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, Kathy, I look at some of this stuff and my head swims and I think it, it's almost like we're setting fire to one section of our population in order to keep the other half warm. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, you, you you can set fire to it, but then what happens? You're only going to be warm for so long. And I, I just, I really do feel that way. So set me straight. What about the te- tenant protection law? Well, it will be up again soon. Um, the legislature in House Bill 1236, they did do um, some work where they worked with all the different groups to come up with a compromise so that landlords are treated fairly and tenants are treated fairly. And so that just passed at the end of this session. Well, immediately King County decided that they did not do enough. It wasn't doing enough. And so we're going to make it stronger than what the legislature did. And so many of the people who worked in Olympia on that bill were like, oh my gosh, we worked so hard on this. We're about ready to take a breath. It hasn't even started implementation yet. And already now we've got to turn around to King County, who is wanting to make all these um, new additions. So let me tell you two of the main parts of this that are of of great concern to me, uh, because I feel like it violates property rights on one hand, and on the other side, it, it is not balanced. And you know me well enough to know, especially raising as many kids as I do have, that Balance is important. It doesn't always have to be the same. I don't give braces to kids that have straight teeth, but you have to balance things out in life. And this is not balanced. So let me give you an example. Pretend that the rent is $2,000 a month. And so the um, tenant is late on the payment. 
And so they've capped the late payment at 1%. So the tenant would then have to pay a $20 penalty. Well, the landlord doesn't have the money then to pay the mortgage. And often your mortgage is more than $20 a day. It could be a whole lot more than $20 a day. But you're not going to get that money back because they've capped it at, um, at the 1%. So then if the landlord were to make a mistake, for instance, now, if you ask for their social security number, um, that could be a mistake. Um, if you violate a whole list of new, new um, criteria or expanded criteria, then the, the tenant can take you to court and pay three and a half times the amount of rent. So on one hand, the tenant can make a mistake and it'll cost them 1%. And on the other hand, the landlord makes a mistake and it costs over 300%. That is not my idea of balance. And that is not okay. In addition, they've said, well, the, land, the landlord is powerful. And so they should be able to afford an attorney with all these new lawsuits that are gonna happen. But the tenant needs now to have more power to equalize. So the county should pay for the tenant to have an attorney. And I said, well, that's not fair. There's moms and, and pops that own two units or three units, and that's their retirement that really can't afford to be in court and paying attorney's fees. Plus right now, the courts are so far behind that civil cases are not the first priority with almost 600 murder cases and homicide cases pending. So it could be years before you could get this worked out civilly. And so it's very expensive. And I think it's $7,500 right now to do an eviction. So landlords aren't going to do that willy nilly. The other thing, so that's the un unbalanced part. And, um, and there are many people that think that that new balancing is just fine. I, I don't. The other thing that I'm very concerned about is this new provision. So if I were to rent to you your this my condo, for instance, for a year, and so you're to vacate December 31st, and we go into the lease, and you know that this is a one-year lease. At the end of the year, I cannot say you are not getting a new lease unless you have done a list of several things. If you haven't done those, I must rent to you again. And so for me, that takes away my property rights that I can't decide. And you have to be late four times in a year where the landlord has done a 10-day notice to say, you need to pay your rent within 10 days or vacate. And if you pay within the 10 days, then all that's forgiven. And that is not a reason to say at the end of the year, I don't want you to be a tenant anymore unless that's happened four times. Well, you know, that's a lot of work for a tenant to go to all that work and all these issues that go on with, okay, I didn't get rent for those three, three sets of 10 days, um, which is another month um, total. So it violates your property rights. It, it takes and ends up with lots of less clarity on what is in the lease. And that is going to be voted on this week. And it looks like they have the votes. And I'm very concerned about that. So there are lots of people who have been testifying on and on and on about how um, horrible things are and, 
and how many people have been evicted. And we had lots of landlords come and say, look, I own one or two apartments and I work with my tenants and I don't want to lose tenants because a good tenant is a wonderful thing to have. But the landlord should have the option of deciding whether or not um, they want to continue, even if it were twice uh, during the year. You were late twice by 10 days, then I would rather rent to somebody who will pay me, pay me on time. But this bill will do away with you having that right as a landlord. I don't understand how, <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, I, mean, I, I know I sound like an old fart here, but I mean, when I was young, property rights meant something. Yeah. And now they don't. I mean, I, it doesn't matter whether it's my acre in the woods that I can't sell, even though I own it and have paid taxes on it for umpteen years. No, that doesn't matter. I don't have a choice about whether I can do that. Somebody's taken my choice away. I have a friend who has property that was just taken by the county. Um, and no, there, were no, there was no payment for that. It was taken. Um, and she had to go along with it. There was no recourse. Tenants, you know, the, uh, the, I think I read, I could be wrong, but I think I read that almost half of all ten, um, uh, rental units are not these big, huge complexes that are owned by big companies. They're individual families, individual owners who are just trying to maybe, okay, we had, we, we bought another house, so we're going to rent this one out and, and try and save that for college money for the kids or something. You're bankrupting those small people. And I think that in our world, the last thing we need is more distance between people. I agree. Uh, the, the last thing we need is people saying, well, you're different. You have this experience or you have that. And so therefore that puts you in this category. And now I can do anything I want because that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And I'm so distressed that our elected officials don't seem to see anything wrong with that for the most part. Well, and then that's why they elected the um, electorate, the citizens need to come out of the woodwork um, before this bill, which is up this week. Um, it's 2021-0131 and say, I, I don't like it. There's no need for it. The state has already ruled on this, um, it goes too far and we don't agree and you know they seattle contingency has the votes and i'm pretty sure that it will pass and then we will have to deal with this and see that makes me feel like again what i joked about you know king county wanting to be seattle when it grows up but that's exactly what it's like i mean I, you, you you've raised kids you know what it's like oh joey got a two-wheeler then i need to get a moped you know i mean uh, it, that's it. That's just the feel, the vibe that I get from King County anymore. It's like, oh, we want to, we want to be like those guys, um, and so we'll, we'll one up it. Um, that's a weird way to govern a county. <laughs> well, it, I think that this is a very scary um, piece of legislation, and um, I had hoped that with more input, that it, it would be um, modified, um, and. Um, this entire packet, which the listeners can't see, but this is um, about a quarter of an inch thick, is just the background on the data that I was reading to try to prepare for what are we going to do with um, all these new provisions that they're putting forth. 
So let me tell you again, it's 2021-0131. They can go online and pull that bill number up. Um, one of the council members, um, Jeannie Cole Wells, will have a striker, um, which is going to add some um, changes um, that will be coming out, I think, later um, tonight or tomorrow morning. But the provisions that I've talked to you about already are still in there and will be in there. So um, this is this is the kind of thing that, you know, some days I feel like the little person in, in the dike putting my fingers in the dike saying, no, 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 they can't have this happen. But um, you know, there's enough Seattle people um, on the council that um, believe in this philosophy and don't want any changes to it. Um, I did get some changes into the bill, which I was very pleased with, um, that had to do with vicious dogs and a number of other provisions that were not in there. So um, it was improved in some areas, but the basic premise should have been, let's wait to see what the legislative bill that just passed did and wait a year and then see if there's any need for this. But um, it's being pushed as quickly as it possibly can. What else is coming down the line in King County um, that we should be aware of? Oh, there's so many, but I, I would like to talk to you about two. And uh, one is the school siting, where um, another committee that I'm on, the Growth Management Policy Committee, um, has sort of defined um, schools as, well, they are part of public facilities. And the Growth Management Act says, you know, public facilities are defined as being in certain places, but they have pulled out schools from the category of public facilities and put even more restrictions on them. So they've decided that there is not a need to have schools in the rural area, that every school should be in an urban area. And we have talked with many school districts who one of them told me that building the school costs 10 times what it would have cost if they had been able to use the land that they had bought many years ago um, before it was allocated as not being a place where they could build. Um, another school district uh, is 40 square miles and only 11 square miles of the Issaquah School District is incorporated. So a child living say at the furthest point of the 40 miles will have to be on a bus every single day all the way into the 11 square miles and back again, rather than saying, okay, over in the upper corner of those 40 square miles, we should build a school because there are 300 elementary kids and they should not be on a bus going all those miles every morning, and every afternoon. And that is not allowed under the provisions that are currently being discussed um, for the um, CPPs, the countywide planning policies that are gonna be voted on um, very soon. Um, and you know, I, I know that our county executive doesn't believe that we should have schools in the rural area, but um, I think it's an important part of, of building community, of having a place for families to get to know each other and to talk things over uh, and to unite. And as a former school teacher, it didn't take me any time at all to look at my class the very first day of school and see which kids were blurry eyed at, you know, 805 because they'd been on a bus for an hour and a half. And those that, you know, live closer, that could walk or could take their bike or ride a bus that wasn't that long, you know, didn't come to school with that deficit. And I just don't think it's fair 
that we have done that. We had a study done a couple of years ago where they looked at all the schools that school properties that the different school districts had purchased. And then when the county said, no, you can't use these properties, they allowed some if you were adjacent to another school, but they said, you can't use these properties. And so it, you know, it became a very hard thing for the school district. And when they said, well, what are we going to do if we need 10 acres or so for a school building? And they said, well, you'll just do eminent domain. And the school district said, oh, we do not want to be doing eminent domain inside of a city and now having a city council furious with us and the people that are in that area um, being furious with us. So telling us that eminent domain is the answer is just not a good answer. So um, the superintendents are hearing things from the quote, quote, experts in land use that, well, we don't have to have a playground. We don't have to have a sports field. We don't have to have, um, you know, we can have multiple floors. And well, you know, you can have multiple floors. Um, there are dangers with you having people, um, little people, or even, even high, junior high school people up on multiple floors because kids get rambunctious some days and do things that you think, oh my goodness. Um, but to say that a high school doesn't need a sports facility and that they can go to the school across town and play sports and that that's gonna be great. You know, one of my staff members is a sports person and, and coaches sports. And so after I came back from that meeting, I said, oh, this is the new idea. And he goes, what? So I said, I wanted to see your reaction, you know, void of my opinion, just what is your reaction to this? And he said, absolutely not. That's part of school spirit, that you have your own teams and that you can, you know, have that kind of camaraderie. And especially after COVID, we have seen that children need space, they need air, they need to run around. Um, and, you know, there were days when you are teaching and whether it's hot, it, hot weather or, or some event that's happened. And, you know, I would just tell the kids, okay, we're going to go outside and run the track and get everybody's energy out. And, you know, we would go out and run the track and come back in again. It was like, okay, now a deep breath, everybody, we're ready to go back to work. You need that space. You can't just say, okay, little people, we want you to act like an adult. They're not adults. And the land use policies, in my mind, are treating children like widgets, and they are not widgets. And so I'm very concerned about the school siting. Um, and I will have several amendments um, when this vote comes up. I think it's coming up on Wednesday. So, um, you know, that's, that is a big deal that, you know, parents need to know that this is going to be an increased cost that some of the designs in the future will have the schools further away from the rural people. And um, it's just in my mind, more Seattle thinking and not how people outside of Seattle who like to you know, go for a walk on the track at night and you know, use the school facilities as part of their community and gathering space. And so I, I, I'm concerned about that. I think you're right. I, from what I've seen, there's such a, a gap, such a difference between the way rural people think and urban people think. I mean, it's it's like, you know, they speak a different language. And I don't see any great efforts 
for them to try to understand the rural areas. They seem to think, I, I know I did an interview with the guy we were talking about, the uh, greater Idaho. And so I interviewed the guy that did that. And he said that um, Portland um, in the state legislature, when they were presented with the idea of the greater um, Idaho, people got all up in arms. Well, no, that's where we go to play. We don't want to go to a different state to play. That's where we play. That's our playground. Mm -hmm. And when he was saying that, I thought, and we're Seattle's playground. You know, they come out in droves. They do what they're going to do um, and then don't give a hoot, you know, uh, in between. I, I think it's uh, I think it's a very divisive, you know, we've got a lot of divisive factors in our in our culture right now. And I don't hear anybody talking about the rural urban divide, but I think it's there and I think it's severe. Kathy, I'm going to have to take a break here, a real quick one. And when we come back, we're going to have a little bit about of maybe 10 minutes to talk and catch up on some of the things that we didn't get to, but we could keep talking for hours. So thank you for, for informing us. And thank you for listening to Valley Talk. We'll be right back. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your station for Northwest eclectic music. Hi, I'm Seth Shostak, and I'm an actual scientist, although I don't wear a white lab coat. Maybe a straitjacket. I'm Molly Bentley. I'm a science journalist, and we are your hosts on Big Picture Science, bringing you the latest from the labs every week. So join us Thursdays at 6 p.m. for the coolest in science and technology, Big Picture Science. That's Thursdays at 6 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9 FM. Welcome back to Valley Talk. My host, Kathy Lambert, our King County Councilwoman, is uh, bringing us lots of news of what's happening at the council meetings right now. And we've seemed to have really uh, uh, dug in our heels a little bit about that Seattle attitude and how that seems to be fully embraced by a lot of folks on the King County Council. Am I just being cranky about those Seattle folks? Or what do you think, Kathy? No, I think that there has been a policy in the past of, of just defining certain things as as freedom but when you're addicted you're not free when you can't decide what you want to do with your property you're not free and I think that there are a lot of people who live in Seattle who tell me I don't even recognize the city that I grew up in I am not happy with the way it looks I'm not happy with it being boarded up and I was really pleased the other day to see uh, Mayor Durkin on TV saying that with this tenants rights that she's very concerned that what will end up happening is that the moms and pops that own, you know, individual places will will sell, and it'll either go to conglomerates or it will go into single-family homes, and then there won't be rental markets. And so she's worried about the balance. Mm -hmm. So I think when people are starting to understand the what we're seeing on the streets of Seattle is the fruit of what was planted, and that we need to look at not having the rest of the county and hopefully not Seattle be in the situation it is where many people are not pleased about going into Seattle or don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. I don't anymore. I don't. And I used to work for 15 years. I worked at Columbia Tower and went in six and seven days a week, but not now. I mean, I don't, I get on the other side of that bridge. And I, I went, I actually had to go into Seattle for something a couple of weeks ago and I stopped at a grocery store and to pick up something, but mostly because I had to go to the bathroom. So I went to the grocery store and I bought some stuff and I kept looking around and I didn't see the sign for the restroom. And so, okay, I went to the checkout counter and I said, where, where's your restroom? And she said, we do not have restrooms for the public. And I went, oh, okay. Well, that Starbucks across the road, she says, they don't either. We do not have restrooms for the public. And I'm going, 
um, where, where are you supposed to go to the bathroom? And she said, you go before you leave home. And I said, I left home an hour and a half ago. I, I need to go again, you know? <laughs> and, and she just kind of, no, no, we don't do that. And, and I just kind of went, wait a minute. How come when I went to Harborview, they were going to the bathroom all over the place. Maybe I just need to get a tent and pop, you know, pitch it somewhere in the parking lot and then I can pee wherever I want. I don't know. I guess that's how it works there. Mm -hmm. Kathy, we talked, you mentioned something intriguing to me, uh, radar. Tell oh, me what yeah. that means and what that's all about. Oh, radar is a program that one of our uh, former King County employees, Carol Cumming, um, started. Um, and it was some pilot out of Canada. And basically what it is, is it, it, it partners a counselor with a police officer or a um, sheriff's deputy. And it has been very successful in the pilot. And so in the budget, the very last amendment into the budget was to get radar into the unincorporated areas. So the sheriff's in the process of hiring um, some counselors to be radar for the unincorporated area. And my goal is that as we do our new contracts in the future with our contract cities, that the contract cities will choose to also have radar and that eventually the entire county will have a counselor going with the officer so that the people that are in crisis will immediately know that there is a counselor here that will help them find services. And it's important that the counselor have an officer with them um, to make sure that the environment is safe. We did, as you know, not too long ago, have a counselor that was on her own get stabbed. Um, and so it's important that there be a partnership. And then, you know, the uniform of the counselor clearly says counselor on it. So um, it's easy to see that that's the person's role. And it's, it's a really good thing. And networking the social services to the direct need so that we leave a scene where there has been an issue with services available so that we can break this cycle of whatever, domestic violence, uh, you know, whatever the situation has been. And I'm very excited to see that program, which has been in the northern part of the county, um, because that's where um, Carol Cummings left when she left and got a job as a chief um, in the northern part of the county. She developed a program and then work with her neighboring cities to expand it. And right from the beginning, because I knew Carol, I said, you know, can we be ready as soon as your pilot's over to launch it? And she was so gracious. Yes, I will give you every single thing that you need to be ready to launch. And so we are in that process and it's very exciting. That is exciting. That is exciting. Um, what else, just, we don't have time to go into it, but what else should we be watching for coming out of the, um, the county and uh, during the next, I don't know, month? Well, there's two things I would say. Number one, I would say, watch the loud voices. How many loud voices? And for as much as you're hearing it, you know, in the news or in the streets or whatever, know that your elected officials are hearing it magnified, magnified, magnified. And so, you know, if you agree or disagree with those loud voices, um, it's time for you to say where you are, because I think that a lot of things, um, you know, it takes, it takes a village to be able to say, no, we are not going to take this type of um, 
standard of living. And the people that live outside Seattle, all across the county, um, have a standard of living. One mayor said to me, I, I am happy with having, you know, helping with different social problems as long as they respect the social norms of our community. And he told me the social norms. And I was like, oh my gosh, where have we come that I have a mayor who's not even one of my mayors telling me that these are the social norms and, and kind of saying, I need these norms when oh, they should be so incredibly basic that it's, we shouldn't even be talking about that. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, listening, seeing what you can do to help your elected officials. Um, and then the second thing is we're going to get a new sheriff in January. And I had hoped that the plan that the county came up with, um, that we would not have a, a gap, that we would actually have an overlap where the new person could have some time to get their feet wet and figure out what's going on and where are our precincts. And this is a very big county. You know, we're bigger than 13 states so that there could be some time while the, the sheriff, the current sheriff is, is in charge that this new sheriff could be on board to, you know, begin to decide what he or she will want to do. But the process was that there would be a group, and I believe it was around 14 people, that would decide what are the attributes that this person needs to have. And they were supposed to have that done by the end of this month. Well, apparently tomorrow, we're going to have a bill that changes the date from the end of this month until the end of September. Um, frankly, you and I could sit down in five minutes and have the attributes of a sheriff, honest, integrity, knowledgeable, business practices, you know, yes. counseling. Um, it you know, kind of goes under the category of reinventing the wheel, isn't it? I mean, I think that there have been a lot of attributes over the last decade that they could scan and pick out the ones they'd like. Well, and I was reading something about the attributes to be in the army and, um, I said, oh, all these work. Why don't we save a lot of money and time and just say, here's, here's some of the skills and we can put some of these skills from this one. Um, but no, that is not what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow they will um, extend the date to the end of September, which means we will need to have an interim sheriff, which is adding instability at a time when a lot of the deputies are feeling a lot of instability and a lot of pressure in parts of the city or counties to not enforce crimes. And um, that is not okay in our district. We have, um, we have a high need for people to have the ability to know that I, if I am not safe for some reason, that there will be um, enforcement to help me to be safe. And that's the kind of lifestyle that um, people in my district tell me they want. And I can't tell you how many people in Seattle are now telling me that that's what they want. So um, I am not happy that there will be an interim sheriff. And I think that this extension is ridiculous. Um, the amount of money that we're paying for these people to come up with what are the attributes. Um, and so that is happening. And I think that as we then get sheriff's candidates, it's going to be important that it not just be somebody that um, is okay with whatever you wanna do, it's fine, um, as opposed to somebody that has the balance between we have laws, we have laws for a reason, they are duly, duly formed laws and that we need to adhere to those laws or change the law. But until then, we as a society need to have the reliability 
of what the law is and that it will be enforced. So um, between now and January, there's a lot of work being done and not at the speed at which I like to work. So I think people need to be really aware of that. And um, yeah. if they're not getting my newsletters that, that alert to people about this is the time for you to speak up on this, whatever your opinion is, but um, I know my citizens pretty well. And um, when there are things that I don't think they're gonna like, I make sure that they know um, about it so that they can read it for themselves, make their own opinions and then speak up because as I said, there are many loud voices with lots of demands. And I am afraid that the taxpayer is the voice that unfortunately Seattle and Seattle centric thinking is stomping out. Our sheriff is now a political appointment. Yes. I was not in favor of that. I remember when it was a political appointment decades ago, and then it was changed so that people could vote on it. And now it's back to uh, being a political appointment. I don't think that any job like that should be a political appointment. I think that's a recipe for disaster because the priorities are different. The priorities are different. If I am appointed by you to do something in a job, I'm going to be more concerned about, yeah, I'm going to be concerned about, am I doing my job okay? But I'm going to be checking, are you seeing what you want to see? And that's great as long as what you want to see is the same as what I think is necessary. But when you have a political appointment, I just think that is a recipe for disaster. I really do. I don't think that's gonna help the situation at all. If anybody had any question about that, go back to look at the tapes of Carmen Best when she talked about the East Precinct. If you had any question, the look on her face, you didn't even have to know her as a person, but as a human being to see the look on her face, um, there was no doubt what was going on there. And the legislature just passed a rule, that, a law, that if there is a riot, that the sheriff or the police department will have to get the permission of the executive of that municipality in order to deal with the riot. And I don't believe as a executive that you should be making that decision. The law enforcement officer of that area should be making that decision based on what they know and their training. And so that is going to be very interesting. If the decision maker does not know, doesn't have that training, that again, that's a recipe for disaster. Kathy, we could talk about this for a long time, but our time is up. Right. Um, I, what I'd like to do is so much happening at the, the um, council, I'd like you to come back in maybe a month or so and give us an update on some of this legislation. And if people want to uh, express their opinion about the some of the, the legislation that you talked about, some of the rules that you talked about at the county, who would, who would they contact? Well, you can um, call. Um, all of our phone numbers are the same, um, 206-477-100, and then 1001, 1002, all the way up to 1009. So you can call and leave a message on all of our phones, or you can send an email to each of us. Um, and um, our emails are online. And um, so that you can have your voice be heard. It's, it's really important that people speak up, especially in the next couple of months, because so much is coming like an avalanche that um, it's been interesting days and nights. 
Yeah, interesting times. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us right here on Valley 104.9 FM. And thank you for listening. I'm Heather Stark. I'll be back next Sunday. <music>